Hello, Real Life family and friends. Pastor Tim again with you today to continue uh, a series on Romans. And today we're going to look at chapter 2 and talk about judgment. So the last couple of weeks in the introduction to Romans and in chapter 1, we spent two weeks talking about two different doctrines of the church. Uh, and just to give you a quick review, the first one we talked about was sanctification. Okay, And sanctification means to be made holy. And God has called you and me to be holy, to be set apart unto Him. Uh, and what that also means is we're set apart from sin, set apart from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and we're set apart from evil uh, to be righteous. And so we are made to be like God. And a couple of points to be reviewed there would be we are called to be holy. Secondly, uh, we're made holy positionally in our relationship with God through faith in Jesus, okay? So when we place our faith in Jesus, there is nothing more that can be done for the forgiveness of our sins. We are forgiven completely, and our position with God is righteous. We are holy in God's sight, and that's called positional uh, sanctification. But then there's this idea of the reality of our lives and that there's still some work to be done. And that's called progressive sanctification. And so God gives us his Holy Spirit, his presence to live in us and with us and give us the, the power to actually become like him uh, and to be healed of hurts and pains, to be transformed in our thinking uh, from a futile, darkened uh, mind that sin has infested us with to the truth of who God is, who we are in Him, and we begin to be transformed, okay? And so that's called progressive sanctification. So we are holy, and we are still called to be holy. We're holy positionally before God, and yet we are still working it out and becoming more and more like Him, all right? So that's a review of sanctification. Then last week we talked about sin. Now sin is a, a word that's from the, the archery uh, the sport of archery, and it means to shoot and fall short. And so sin is missing the mark. And the mark is God. It's God's will. It's God's perfect design for life. And he shares that with us in his word. And so when we miss God's word, when we don't obey God, when we fall short of, of what God has shown us to be the bullseye, which is a, a good way of thinking about the, the Bible or the Torah, the bullseye for life, when we miss it, we sin. Okay? Now, the results of sin is death, because God is life, and when we miss God, we're entering into anti-life, which is death. <laughs> you know, When we leave God, when we leave His ways, and when we don't do what He's called us to do, uh, the, the natural implication of that is we're in a realm of death, or brokenness, or evil, or pain, or bondage, or hurt. And so that's what sin results in. And uh, also, salvation, though, is not a matter of performance, Okay, so as we're learning here that our salvation is not based on our record or our performance or sinning or versus being good. It's not about being good or being bad that that bases our salvation on. It's about a trust issue. Who are we trusting our lives to? If we do not trust our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior, we are trusting uh, by default in ourselves as our own Lord and Savior, right? If we're not trusting in Jesus, we're trusting in ourselves. The problem with that is we are infested with sin. We are unable. We don't have the power. Uh, we don't have the capacity to live without sin. And so sin results in death. The, the, the judgment against us because of our sin is death. 
and we cannot save ourselves. That's the problem. So mankind, each and every one of us, has that decision. When the gospel, when the good news is shared with us, when we understand what God has done through Jesus Christ, coming to earth, living a perfect, holy, sinless life, qualifying to become our substitute, to pay our debt of sin that we can't pay for ourselves, and He did, and He died on the cross, God raised Him from the dead, we need to either place our faith in Jesus and be saved and let Him be the Lord of our life, or we remain in our sin and in our death sentence, right? So salvation is not based on our track record. It's not about good or bad. It's about who's in charge. Are we trusting our life into, into Christ's hands and are we following him or are we trusting ourselves, right? That's what the Bible is talking about in Romans. Now, trusting in Jesus as Lord leads to a life of increased righteous living. It changes us, as I already talked about with sanctification. So grace, the grace of God, does two amazing things that we could not do for ourselves. Number one, it provides forgiveness for our sin. And number two, the grace of God empowers us to live a life of freedom from sin, to be actually changed. All right, so that's a quick review of the last couple of weeks. Today we're going to talk about another doctrine of the church, and it's judgment. So Paul starts to talk about sin some more and the judgment of God upon us. So let's start in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to, 1 to 4, okay? Paul says, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you pass judgment, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Well, we're kind of jumping into the middle of a thought here that Paul is sharing with us in chapter 2. And it comes right off of chapter 1 about the fall of man, uh, the depravity of our mind, uh, the sinfulness, uh, our, our spiral, our sin spiral that, that we are experiencing because of our rejection of God. And, and now Paul is kind of turning his attention to kind of a, um, he's inventing a listener, right? And that listener is probably a Jewish, religious, orthodox person. And now Paul's going to do a, a style of writing in which he invents a, an audience and he has a discourse back and forth with this person. And he's asking the questions or sharing the thoughts of this hypothetical person, which really Paul is addressing the Jews in this particular part. And he's saying, so if you, because you have the law, because you have the, um, you know, the relation with God, you have this idea that you're a special chosen one of God, uh, if you are judging other people for their sin, aren't you also judging yourself if you do the same things? And he's trying to point out to, uh, to everyone in chapter 2, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of God's standards. He's still trying to establish the need for a Savior. Uh, he's going to do that both for Jews and Gentiles in this chapter. But a couple of things I want to talk about here is just the idea of human judgment. Human judgment 
is often hypocritical. And Paul is talking about hypocritical judgment. He's talking about a religious person who thinks they got all their act together. They know the law. They know all the rules, right? And they're doing a pretty good job of following them. But they're pointing out everybody else's sin. And they're judging other people based on their failures. And Paul's like, are you sure you're not doing the same thing? Because if you're doing the same thing, you're actually pointing at yourself, too. You're judging yourself. So Jesus also was against hypocritical judgment. And human judgment... We tend to have a biased view of our own failings while seeing clearly the failings of those around us, don't we? <laughs> so we make really bad judges. I mean, we, we are the only species of the world and the world uh, that can deceive itself. Human beings can actually lie to themselves and believe it over time. Uh, we can legitimize, we can bend, we can compromise in our own mind, in our own thinking, and we can literally lie to ourselves because we're so prone to self-preservation and self-promotion, aren't we? And so human judgment is, is terrible, but God isn't a judge like that. And so here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. He says, Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's what Paul is probably talking about here. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? <laughs> you know, a little speck of sawdust there, you've got a big plank in ours, right? Jesus is saying. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So God is not into hypocritical judgment. He's not into a religious, um, you know, goody two-shoes, pointing out to everybody else how they fail while they're trying to hide their own failures, right? God's not into that. He's, Jesus is not into that. Now, he's not saying don't judge. He's saying don't judge hypocritical. First get your, your place uh, right Right? Then you can see clearly how to help other people. But, um, but God is the ultimate judge. And there's a couple of facts that I want to share with you. First of all, fact number one about judgment. You are going to be judged by the righteous judge of all the earth. And so will I. Each and every one of us is not going to be judged by you know, a panel of our peers or by public opinion um, uh, or by some, uh, you know, cultural um, code, we are going to be judged, you, I, individually, are going to be judged by the righteous judge of all the earth, by Almighty God. The Bible says this in Psalm 9-4, um, For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. So God is the righteous judge, which is important. He is righteous. He's perfect. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. And in Romans 2, 2, um, it says that now we know that God's judgment against those who do, do such things is based on truth. So God's judgment is based on truth. So that's fact number two. Fact number one, we will all be judged by God. He is the righteous judge of all the earth. And judgment fact number two is God bases his judgment on perfect truth. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. I mean, this isn't just what God tries to do. He doesn't just try to be right or just. He is righteous. He is just in all his ways. He is perfect truth. And there's no um, curving, bending, compromising, 
uh, muddling of the waters. He has perfect clarity, perfect truth, and he judges righteously, and he always upholds justice. Now, that's cool. That's good. We want a righteous judge. The Bible says that he doesn't show partiality uh, to, to anyone. So that's good. So we're going to get a fair, perfect, righteous judgment for ourselves. But it's bad because we know we're guilty. All right? There is no bribing. There's no skirting the issue. There's no turning a blind eye. Um, there are no human you know, tricks here that can be pulled. We are going to stand before the righteous judge of all the earth. He is going to see with perfect clarity and judge based on perfect truth, and he will give a just and right uh, verdict every single time. Wow. What should that do for you and for me? Well, I mean, that obviously should strike a holy fear, a holy respect for God. And without um, intervention, we are all in big trouble. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. Before we get to Romans chapter 3, which the good news starts to be unveiled, that Jesus paid for our sin, that we can be saved because we have an advocate, we have someone who paid the price for us. Before we get to that, we have to get to this point, that we need to understand that we are unholy. We are sinful. We um, have a death sentence upon us, and we will face a righteous judge who sees it all, knows it all, and will give the perfect, right, just uh, decree upon us, right? So here's fact number three, judgment fact number three. The Bible says that a day of judgment is appointed for every person. In Hebrews 9.27, it says that just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Every one of us, whether we um, die a natural death, or whether Jesus comes back and we're you know, uh, our lives are suddenly put into that, that time frame of the day of judgment, we're going to stand before God and we're going to face a judgment. Okay? That's fact number four. Uh, fact number three. But fact number four is, I got a little bit of good news for you here. That God is patient in His judgment, wanting all to receive mercy. So I want to read this verse again that we already read once in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his, God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we see Paul saying the same thing in a different way. Let me read it for you. It'll make more sense here in a second. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to come. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the idea here is, where's God's judgment? Where's God's judgment against that person and against that nation or against that people or against this system? This is evil. This is wrong. That person's doing bad. Where's God's judgment? Well, first and foremost, what I said last week is still already happening. Sin is 
uh, already judgment, right? The sin has built in judgment upon it. So even though we don't see all the effects of what people are doing, there is a, a, a causal effect of people's sin already in play right now today. But the final judgment, God is relenting. He is uh, delaying. He is patient because God wants everyone to experience his mercy. God is not out to angrily judge uh, bad people. He made us to know him, right? To be saved, to be rescued, to be redeemed. And so the reason we haven't had the day of judgment yet is because God is being patient and it's his kindness and his mercy that's delaying the day of judgment so that more people will receive uh, Christ by faith and be saved. So it is the mercy of God uh, through, through which we right now are experiencing a delay in the coming of Jesus. Because when that day comes, then human history comes to a close. Do you see? And judgment day is upon us. So it's the mercy of God um, that, that there is a delay in Jesus coming. And in his divine understanding, in his divine will, uh, it's, God is the only one who knows the day. He's the only one who knows the perfect moment when everybody has had Legit, the legitimate, fair, just opportunity to repent and get right with Him. And at that moment, whenever that is in the future, God brings, brings it all to a, to a head and Jesus comes again. Okay? So in the Bible, I want to talk about some of this, but let's read a little bit more out of Romans chapter 2, starting with verse 5 now. Paul continues and he says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. The day of God's wrath. So we're talking about a day, the day of judgment. We'll come back to that in a minute. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Okay? Paul is saying there is a day of God's wrath. There is a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, everyone who is evil is going to be in trouble, right? And everyone who is good is going to be rewarded. Like it's all going to come to a head. There is going to be a day of judgment. And so in the Bible, I want to talk about this day of judgment. You can look up other references to this. Matthew 12, 36, uh, 2 Peter 2, 9, 2 Peter 3, 7. 1 John 4, 17, I'll talk about this. Now, here's the main passage for us. And there's two judgments I'm going to talk about in the Bible. There are two judgments. One is called, we refer to it as the great white throne, right? This is um, the judgment of all humanity. And then there's a second judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. So let's talk about both of those here briefly, right? The great white throne is uh, judgment is found in Revelation. So let me read that for you. Chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is 
the book of life. So we've got a bunch of books, and we have a special book. A bunch of books here, and one book called the book of life, or, um, you know, the, the book that Jesus, you know, uh, it's his book, right? And all who are saved, who've placed their faith in Jesus, their names are written in that book. All these other books we'll find are the recorded actions and deeds of every one of our lives. Whoa, lots of books. <laughs> lots of stuff going on there. It says, um, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds pretty scary to me. If there's a book written about all of the things that I have done and it's all there and I'm judged based on what I've done, that's going to be a scary day. Wow. It says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Each person by what has been done and recorded in these books. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. Okay. How do we explain this? This is called the great day of God's wrath, the day of judgment. This is the, this is the, this is the moment when uh, whether you died a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago or one day ago, when this happens, everybody stands before God. Everybody is raised up in the sea and land. Uh, everybody is gathered together. And one at a time, every single person is judged based on their life and what they've done. He said, but, but pastor, I thought I was, I was being judged based on whether or not I had faith in Jesus. Yes, you are. But there's two judgments here. And this judgment right here is all about where you will spend eternity. Will you spend eternity in heaven or in the lake of fire? Right? And what makes the difference here for eternity? Your, your eternal salvation is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So you are right, because what happens and what the scriptures tell us is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. So I, I'm not sure if at this point in time, all the books with all my actions and deeds have been blotted out or rewritten for what Jesus has done, because I'm going to be judged not based on the books of my actions, but because I put my faith in Jesus based on if my name is in the book of life. You with me? It says everyone whose name wasn't written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So the day of the great white throne judgment day is all about not really what you've done. We'll get back to that in a minute, but who you've trusted in and who you've lived for. And if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you've given your life to Christ, you're trusting in Him, you are saved. That's judgment number one, and that's it for people who are thrown in the lake of fire. They only get one judgment. They're gone. That's it. But there's a second judgment the Bible talks about, and it's called the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Paul writes about it, and he talks just a little bit about it here, but he talks about it more in some of his other letters. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says this, Paul writes this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the people who've already um, went through the judgment number one, 
and have their names written in Lamb's Book of Life or the Book of Life. So he's talking to us, right, if you're a believer. And he says, now we must all also appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And listen to this. So that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Whoa. Okay, so the judgment seat of Christ isn't about eternity anymore. This is about rewards. This is about how we actually lived our life in honor of God. So this isn't, it's not like our life doesn't matter. It matters a lot. God, remember, made us and he gave us this commission and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? And God has given us a purpose and he has given each and every one of us, as I said a couple weeks ago about sanctification, we are holy, we are special, we got a special purpose. And God has a special plan for our lives. And, and he is a God of accountability. We see many different stories in the, in the scriptures. Jesus spoke of many different parables. In Matthew chapter 5, there's back-to-back-to-back parables about the accountability that God has upon our lives as Christians for how we live our life uh, after we've been saved. We are to be living our life as Jesus is Lord. So does it matter how we live our life? Oh, yeah. Does it matter for eternity? Well, not salvation, but it does matter for our rewards. I don't exactly understand all that, but there's enough scriptures that talk about rewards, about accountability, about our purpose on life, that it, you need to give it great attention, right? So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Listen to this statement. But each one should build with care. Paul's saying you need to build your life with care. Pay attention. And here's why. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation, now we have this faith. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the rest of my life. Now, what am I going to build on that life? What has God called me to? Who has he called me to touch and love and make a difference in? Now I have a foundation, a new foundation. It's faith in Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Be careful how you build. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. God's going to hold us accountable for how we live our life. Because the day, this is again, the day of judgment, the day will bring it to light. How? Somehow, Paul says, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Paul's like, look, the foundation of Jesus Christ is the key, and that is our eternal security and our eternal salvation. But now that Christ has saved us, and he has equipped us with his Holy Spirit, and he has called us to be holy, and he has a special purpose and plan for our lives, now what we do with that also matters as far as reward or not. Paul says how you live your life, how you build on this foundation of faith in Christ, how, what you do with your, your life matters. 
And there's a second judgment for all Christians, and that's based on rewards. And that's, that's based on a celebration of this is what we are able to do with God's help. This is how God partnered with us to make a difference with our life. And, and uh, it says, even if you don't build on it, you build on it with wood, straw, hay, whatever, and that stuff burns up and there's nothing left. Paul says, you'll still be saved, but, but you'll just... You'll just you won't have any reward. Or, I don't understand all that, but I, I know that God is such a just and righteous God that he is going to hold us accountable for what he has called us to do. He wants us to be celebrating um, the accomplishments uh, of building his kingdom and partnering with us and allowing him to rule and reign through our lives. So I want to I want to really encourage you and challenge you. It's not about just getting your sins forgiven. It is about being who God has called you to be. To lean into the fact that you are called by God. And God is with you and he's equipped you to do some great things. To change eternity. To impact people's lives. And he, it, there is accountability for that. And God wants you to receive the rewards of trusting in him and following him with your life. There is an awareness there. And, Paul, and Jesus talks about this quite a bit in Matthew chapter 25. Remember how he said to, the, to the, the sheep and the goats parable? And he said to the sheep, he says, Well done, enter into your inheritance. For I was in prison and you came to visit me. I was sick and you helped me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. And they're like, when, Lord, when do we do these things? He's like, listen, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. The way that you were living your life was mattering. You were loving people. You were caring for people. You were following the promptings of your, 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 your heart that I was giving you to touch people, to lay your life down, to give your life away, to, to take time, to take energy, to take your resources that I gave you to love people and care for people. You were caring and loving me. Come, enjoy your reward, right? That's, that's the story of our lives. That's what God wants to do. He wants you to live a better story because he's with you and he wants to equip you and empower you. Wow. So the idea of judgment in the Bible, I hope that you see how it works now. There's two judgments. One is based on where you spend eternity and, and that is through Jesus Christ placing your faith in him as Lord, you spend eternity in heaven. But number two, the other judgment is once you've made that commitment to Christ, now there's an accountability for us to grow and to live that life filled with God's spirit, led by his spirit, giving our life away, laying it down, following after Jesus and building up rewards in heaven. Didn't Jesus say to don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? where a moth can't eat and, and rust can't destroy and a thief can't steal. Didn't he, stay late? Didn't he say to us, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? That's how we live our life here today. We are actually laying up rewards and treasures in heaven. I don't exactly know how all that's going to work, but I know there's an accountability to the way that we live our lives as Christians. And God wants you to make a difference with your life. So let's do that. Let's become Jesus followers and Jesus' disciples. Um, so 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul also writes this, and he says, Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
So Paul is saying, look, when you pursue godliness, you become who God's called you to become. You will then do what God's called you to do. And that will not only have a positive, fruitful impact right now for you and your life, but you will also see it will impact eternity on your behalf. Okay, so this is good doctrine. This this brings accountability to all of our life, not just um, our salvation, but how we live in faith and how we do the good deeds that God created in advance for us to do in Christ Jesus, for him to get the glory. And God wants you to finish well, right? So Romans chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Excuse me. So judgment fact number five is you are judged by what you do, what you do. I'm going to kind of go back to this a little bit. If you live a perfectly righteous life, according to uh, the writing here in Romans that Paul's writing to us through the Holy Spirit, you get eternal life. If you sin, you get eternal death. Okay, this is how it works. So God is just um, and he judges us by what we do. If we do good, we get good. If we do bad, we get bad. And the good news is that God is perfectly just, but the bad news is, again, we fall short. Okay? So the good news, again, is that God makes a way himself to both legally and perfectly satisfy his justice and righteousness and exercises mercy and grace toward us. Okay? Because God judges based on what we do and we fall short, God comes and does what we couldn't do. Okay, very important. This is how God's justice is fulfilled, right? No one can live a perfectly righteous life and earn eternity through their own effort. Paul's proving this very strongly. No one can do this. We've all sinned. We all fall short. That's a bummer (laughs) because God's going to judge us based on our performance. Don't get confused here. I'm just... Backing up, God will judge us based on what we do. That's what the Bible is saying here. So Jesus comes and he lives a perfectly righteous life and he does everything right. He's righteous. Okay. Now, because he's righteous and he dies for us, we can substitute our performance for his performance if we trust in him. Now, that's why, on the one hand, God judges based on what we do, but on the other hand, what we do gets changed through faith in Jesus, and what he did is appropriated to us. And now when God looks at me and you, if you've placed your faith in him, he sees Jesus' record. And now we are judged based on what we do, but it wasn't really what we did. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's changed. The record, the file folder, the paperwork, the books is exchanged for what Jesus has done. Isn't that awesome? So God can satisfy his justice perfectly because he's going to judge based on what we've done. What we've done deserves death. Jesus comes and he does what he does deserves life. And Jesus gives his life for our death. He takes our death. He gives us his life. We now have his record And Jesus has our record. Jesus pays the penalty for our record. God's justice is satisfied. All of our sin is categorically paid for. It's filed away. It's removed from us, placed on Jesus. There's no longer any record of our sin 
It's gone. It's blotted out. It's been paid for in the courtroom of heaven. God didn't turn a blind eye. He took that, put it on Jesus, and paid for it. Drop of blood after drop of blood after ridicule, insult, embarrassment, uh, betrayal, whip, stabbing, uh, uh, thorn poking, you know, all the stuff that Jesus went through. And then he died. All of that was to take all of our sin onto himself. So now it's gone. Through faith in Jesus, we get his record. So God is still judging us based on what we've done. But all we've done is placed our faith in Jesus. And all Jesus did was live a perfect, holy life and give it for us. Wow. So that's how God's justice is satisfied. And that's also how we see the mercy of God. Because while God is, is just, He's also merciful. And He paid our debt Himself. What remains is that we place our faith in Jesus. So we can make the exchange of death to life. And that is a decision each and every one of us needs to make. When we make that decision, our names are written in the book of life. Aha, Tim Hobson, is trusting in Jesus. He's trusting in me. Jesus writes my name in his book. I say, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. I trust in you. I'm living my life for you. And Jesus says, I got you. And he says, Tim Hobson, he just gave his life to me. He belongs to me. He's in my book. I got him covered. Wow. Wow. And that's what the offer is on the table for each and every one of us. So let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Um, and we'll probably wrap it up with this. It says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Let me just try to say something here so you can understand this a little easier. Paul is now talking about Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had the Torah. They had the law. The Gentiles did not have the Torah weren't aware of the, of the laws of God. So now what Paul is saying is if you're a Jew and you have the law, you're going to be judged based on what you know on the law. If you're a Gentile and you don't have the law as your moral guide, you didn't grow up you know, as a Jew, you don't know the scriptures, you don't know God's standards, you're going to be judged based on something else. You know what that something else is? Your conscience. Because God has given each and every one of us a conscience. And according to your conscience, if you violate your conscience, um, that's you breaking the law that God has given you. He's given you a written code on, on your heart, your conscience. Or if you're a Jew, you have the written code, the written law in front of you. So if you have this, you're going to be judged by that. If you have your conscience and you don't have the law, you'll be judged by that. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. And even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Again, Paul says the standard by which God is going to judge all these people is based on what they know. 
If they have, have been given the law and they're breaking the law, that's the standard. If they've just been given their conscience and they've been breaking their conscience, that's the standard, right? And so this is going to take place based on this principle that you are judged by what you know. And Jesus even mentioned this in the scriptures too about, um, you know, he said in Luke chapter 12, the one who, uh, this, it says here the, in verse 47, 48, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with fewer blows. For everyone, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with, with much, much more will be asked. And so Jesus is like, you're going to be judging based on how much God has shown you, how much you know, and what you have been given. If you've been given a lot of revelation, a lot of information, a lot of uh, opportunities, God expects more. And if you don't have much, and we look around the world, there's lots of people that have a lot less information, a lot less opportunities, a lot less resources than I have. Now, God's not expecting them to do as much as he expects me to do. It's like whatever we've been given, we're responsible and accountable to God for that as, as far as everything goes, knowledge, uh, information on him and all of that. And so the idea that Paul is, is uh, going with this is that for a Jew... A religious person, it's not just that you have the Bible or that you go to church or like Jesus said, uh, a wise man or a foolish man. You know, the difference between a wise man and a foolish man is they both hear it, but that's not the point. One of them does it, one of them doesn't, right? The wise man puts it into practice and that's the one who's building his life on the rock. The foolish man hears it, but doesn't do it, right? The storms of life come and his life comes crashing down because he didn't build his life on Jesus, on faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's not the one who has the Torah, uh, the religious person who goes to synagogue, uh, the person who knows all the rules and who's hypocritically judging everybody else as a religious person. That, that doesn't save you. What saves you is obedience to the law. Well, are you obeying the law? All of it? 100% of it? All the time? No, you're not. So Paul is actually talking to religious people right here, and he's going to unveil their um, need for forgiveness. He's going to show them that even they are sinners, right? That's what he's doing here in chapter 2 before we get to chapter 3. And so for the Jews, for the Gentiles, we're all in this together. Whether we have the law or we don't, a, a Gentile is not worse than a Jew. A Jew would look at a Gentile and think that they're not deserving salvation because they don't have the, the, the Torah, because they don't do all these religious activities. And Paul's saying, no, that's not right. You can be this religious person. You can be a Jew. You can have the Torah. You can go to synagogue. But if you're not living a perfect, holy life, guess what? You need saving too. It doesn't save you just because you're a Jew. It doesn't save you just because you had the Bible. It doesn't save you just because you go to church. It doesn't save you just because you're a religious person. The only thing that saves you is faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's the only thing that saves you. That's what this whole book is all about. And so um, this, this is where we're going with this, and I think we'll stop right there for now, but I do want to just give you some good news, okay? Uh, Romans 2.29 talks about, this the last verse of this chapter, it says, Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Verse 28, A man is not a Jew 
if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is a loaded statement, but it's going to bring us to a conclusion here where what God is interested in is that you have a heart, love, and relationship with him, not an external religious um, observance. Circumcision is an outward form, but Paul says that's not what gets you saved, doing the outward religious activities. What gets you saved is that inwardly you are circumcised in your heart. You have surrendered your heart to God. So we get praise from the outside things that we do for men, but we get praise from God when it's the inside devotion to Him. God doesn't praise us for the outside stuff. He's not impressed with our religious efforts and activities, right? Uh, he knows what's going on on the inside. But when the inside is humble before Him, hungry for Him, needing Him, submitted to Him, we get praise from God. And praise from God is way more valuable than praise from men. I pray that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, if you haven't already done so. And if you have, I pray that you are fired up about the life God has planned for you, knowing that there are rewards waiting for you in heaven based on how you live your life today. I want to urge you, you got one life to live for God. You have one life and it goes so fast and God is calling you to live it for Him, to trust in Him and to make a difference with your life. Don't live your life for yourself. Don't squander the life that God has given you just on yourself and temporary things, but lay your life down. Love people. Follow the heart of God. Follow the good works that He's put in your path to do and store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Let me pray with you. And if you want to give your life to Christ, pray this with me, okay? Jesus, today I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Today I thank you, Lord, for saving me, for forgiving me of all my sin. I acknowledge that you lived a holy, perfect life and you gave it so that I could have life in you. Thank you for loving me. And now fill me, fill me with your spirit so I can live this new life that you've called me to live. And may I live it well. God, may my life have an impact in eternity. I thank you that you love me, you're with me, you're for me, and I surrender it all to you. In your name I believe, in your name I trust, and in your name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God, I just pray for each one of us that you would just light a fire on the inside of us, that our life matters in you, that we wouldn't get caught up in the, just the normal, common day, you know, survival mode of life. But God, we would see the, the path that you have lighted for us, for our footsteps, the path of significance, that you have called us to be holy, you have a plan for our life, and that you would show us, Lord, what that is, one day at a time, that we will live our life storing up treasures in heaven and make a difference on the, this earth. Equip us and fill us, Lord, with everything good for doing your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. I love you. Go get them. Live your life for him. Make a difference with your life. Uh, you are his treasure possession and you have everything you need for life and for godliness in him and through him. Amen.